What is up? What is up, listeners? Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Trying to Function with your boy, Coke Smush, aka Ryan. You guys know me. I'm joined with Travis, as always. And today we have a very special guest with us today, Narissa Hetzer. Hi, guys. Narissa, why don't you go ahead and give us a little introduction about yourself? Yeah, sure. Um, let's see. I'm from Duarte, California, but currently I am in nursing school in the Midwest. <laughs> so first time ever seeing snow. Pretty cool. Um, studying nursing. I'm in a graduate program. That's a master's degree for nursing study, um, clinical and education in case I want to go that route. Uh, that's a little bit about <laughs> what I'm studying. Um, would you like to know what I do or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give us give us a little brief rundown on, you know, what's going on in your life. Okay, yeah, definitely. So day to day, um, what can I say? Student life. I mean, <laughs> enough said right there. It's it's intense, it's challenging, it's chaotic at times. I feel, you know, oftentimes unhinged. Um, I, I would say there are definitely days where I'm like, I don't know if I can do this, but I somehow always manage to push through and see another day of it. Um, I'm surviving and I actually kind of love the torture in a way. Um, I do really like it. I love what I'm learning and I love, love, love being in action. I do, um, I do some rotations at the hospital and I work in a, in a, in a hospital called Aurora. It's a very popular hospital in the Midwest. I don't know if anyone's familiar. Um, so I work in one of those uh, hospitals and I, I work on the cardiac unit and I love it. Um, I've learned just so much in that short time span of um, being a student nurse until now. I mean, I've just really gotten the chance to be hands-on more than I've ever, I mean, <laughs> the things that you see as a nurse is just, it can't be unseen. It oh, really I bet. <laughs> I mean, you really get to see all aspects and all different sides of people, you know, um, the good, the bad, the ugly, and it sometimes it gets bad. And people are, you know, when people are sick, and they're not feeling good, and they're at their worst, you know, I'm not expecting them to be pleasant. And how was your day and this and that. So it really is a thankless job. But that's not why you do it. You know, you don't do it for the thank yous. And, you know, all that glory or whatever you want to call it you do it because you're passionate about the research and the education and what has like basically just science in general you know like what science has done for the community and what science has done for advancement in terms of technology and and medication and just I could go on and on about all that it's a whole other topic really but yeah, that's just a little bit of day to day. I do. I spend a lot of time doing research um, since it's a graduate program. I spend so much time just trying to look up what's relevant um, in my scope of practice. And I, you know, I'll pick a demographic and I'll, I'll really narrow in on something specific. And um, like I, I looked at like polycystic ovary syndrome in the African com American community. I've looked at like just like really specific topics and um, trying kind of narrowing it down and trying to figure out, you know, what are these health disparities? What are these people who don't have, what is it like for people who don't have access to healthcare? You know, not everybody has that luxury and that privilege. And so it really is um, seeing the other side of the coin as well that is a lot too you know and with that that field that you're in you know it's not just you know uh somebody that hurts themselves physically or you know they need some medication because of a psychosis or something there's so many different aspects to being in the medical field that you'd, you'd be researching all, all day you know your whole life if you were oh, to yeah. try to learn everything you know so i think taking it you know niche by niche and just kind of fine-tuning what you really want to understand and learn is the best way to go about doing it Oh, that's yes. that's yeah. really cool. You have any questions, Travis? No. Cool, cool, man. Um, I did have some questions for you, Narissa. Uh, we probably won't get into all of them today, but yeah. you know, we can we can start and you know, 
we'll, we'll see how it goes with the hour and we'll get the listeners to tune in next week or, you know, whenever we can get you back in on the next episode for part two. That'd be awesome. Okay. You let me know. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So the first question is what is pathophysiology? Cause I know you said, you know, you, you were studying all these different things and you wanted to get into, you know, this certain field, but you, you said pathophysiology and this really stood out to me. So I wanted to, you know, like kind of dive into that and find out why it's important for the medical professionals to understand it. Yeah. You know, it kind of took me a while to kind of grasp the concept of pathophysiology just because it's, it's really such a dense subject and it really just encompasses so much and so many other fields of study that really pathophysiology exists across all fields of healthcare and pretty much from dentistry to plastic surgery to you know go your basic healthcare it's like everyone is dealing with that is is dealing with pathophysiology, excuse me. So yeah, it's just everyone is dealing with, are we gonna worry about infection? Are we gonna worry about treating that? Are we worrying about a disease state? Are we worried about, you know, microorganisms getting into a sterile field? You know, in dentistry, you have to, there's always that risk because the throat is right there and, you know, bacteria loves to hang out in the tonsils. I know everyone, has been sick before and knows that so you know that's just one of those things where you have to be careful and and it's very important for for everybody that's in healthcare to know about pathophysiology which really is a combination of two major disciplines i would say it's a combination of pathology and physiology pathology is kind of just more like pathogens when you think of pathogens and something that is invading um bacteria viruses and then physiology is kind of like how something functions so like the function of your bladder the function of your heart for let's say so if you mix pathology and the function of which is physiology you get basically pathophysiology right so that makes sense and um, so that medical term makes sense. And um, it's also knowing really about anatomy and physiology as well, because if you don't know the structure of the heart, let's say, how are you going to know what it does? And how are you going to know the all the electrical signals and, you know, all the output and, you know, blood pressure and the pulse pressure and so many things that I you know, how to read an EKG. I mean, I'm no cardiologist by any means, but there's just, there's really just so much that could happen. And <laughs> I'll say that pathophysiology is one of those things that kind of made me want to be a healthier eater just because I am terrified of heart disease and hypertension, which is high blood pressure. And all those things that lead to, you know, diabetes and heart disease, which is the number one killer in America, by the way. And it's like, I mean, it beats suicide and car crashes and diabetes. It's like literally heart disease is number one in America. I mean, why do you think? I mean, that really poses some questions, you know, it's like, why is that? A, such a struggle for like our western civilization like our united states of america like why do you think heart disease is so prevalent and like it really boils down to our diet like what we're exactly putting into our bodies and it's like hor other cultures like let's just say japan for example they're one of the cultures that live the longest they have one of the longest living lifespans and they have one of the cleanest diets. They eat a lot of soy, a lot of seafood that's healthy, seafoods, lots of healthy fats. They really don't eat fast food. That's not part of their culture. And it's kind of like also access and everything like that. You know, obviously it's way 
cheaper and faster to have a 99 cent burger from mcdonald's than to go whoa whoa like, where are you getting 90 cent burgers from mcdonald's let me okay, know about whatever. that <laughs> or whatever it is on the value menu you know yeah i I'm totally saying. get what you're saying you know that is a big but, problem in america is the fast foods yeah, you know yeah. like fast food are chains everywhere all across it's the nation terrible you yeah. know and it's 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 convenient. You know, you said it, it's convenient. It's fast and it's convenient. Yeah. People don't have to go out grocery shopping for a, a list for food for the week, you know, and deal with all these groceries in the fridge, you know, and I think that contributes to access and part of it being lazy, you know, cause yeah. I, I can go to the store and I can spend $50 on groceries for the week and cook, cook some meals, you know, and if I were to go eat fast food, that'd probably only last me three, maybe four days if I was just eating myself. Right, right. So I, yeah, I think, you know, you know, I would love to visit Japan because <laughs> it's, we'd a, all be it's amazing over there, you know? <laughs> yeah, right? But I think I think that's a good contribution to our problem is the fast food chains. Yeah, for no, sure. really. It's, ugh, it's insane. And every single time I'm in the hospital on the cardiac unit, I have to provide patient education. That's a huge part of being a healthcare provider is giving education with what we're telling them you know we're telling you this because x y and z not just hey good luck with your diabetes okay bye you know we're kind of here to guide them this is x y and z and it's like we're constantly giving them education on their diet like you need to change your diet you need to stop smoking you, you know there are just risk factors that are putting you at risk and you you know lot uh, most of these patients are already in heart failure and they already have heart disease. So I see a lot of heart disease. That's why I work on the cardiac unit. So that's why I see a lot of heart disease. I'm sure if I worked in another unit, I would see, you know, other things. But um, but I do see that a lot. And it just makes you wonder, you know, like, what are we, it's, what are we putting into our bodies? But then also, what is going to be, what's realistic? What's realistic when we're busy we're working our, you know, jobs that aren't paying us as much as we'd hope they would be. And, you know, we just need to run through that Taco Bell drive through real quick. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, you don't have that time to cook a full meal, maybe. It's just, and you know, $50 of groceries, like you said, Ryan, like, how much groceries is that really? Like, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That That's, that's, that's barely really making it, you know? That's like, barely anything. Me and my family on a month, we go through like five to six hundred dollars in groceries, you right. know, and, and that's just food, you know, for a family of yeah. three. Exactly. So well, especially if you're working two jobs, well, how do you have time to cook for yourself? You know, you're waking mm -hmm. up really early to go to your first job just to come back in the middle of the day to maybe change your clothes to go to your second one, you know, so you're being constantly right. on the go and today like people live such a fast lifestyle you know there's not really any time to just stop and enjoy a good meal anymore <laughs> huh a home-cooked meal would be nice <laughs> but yeah just to bring it like back to healthcare, a lot of these people's priorities are groceries and rent they're not worried about oh i need to pay for my health insurance so lots of people don't have access to health care and they don't understand that what their diseases are like they might be struggling with diabetes or heart disease or heart failure or you know something or they may have had a heart attack and they they don't know what how to prepare what their symptoms are before they get to that point you know there's definitely signs before you get to the heart attack point and we can talk about that later i just want to say that people don't prioritize their health and that's like really a sad thing that is part and integrated into our culture is that we put it on the back burner because we put we have to put our rent and our groceries and our families on the forefront you know yeah i definitely get it you know i i live that lifestyle myself right now you know everything is going toward rent and food and you know, stuff that I need for my family. So if I were to get sick or if I were to need to go to the hospital, I'm doing everything I can to take care of it on my own. You know, because if I have to go to the hospital, that's a bill that I can't afford to pay. 
And I've, I've been guilty of, you know, having a $700, $800 hospital bill come after me for, you know, years. And I'm just like, oh, I'm not paying this. Like, I can't afford this. You know, they don't, they don't make it accessible for people with, you know, that are living in poverty to just be able to take care of themselves and diet, you know, taking care of your physical self is such a big part and plays contribution to your mental health as well. You know, like your diet, things that you eat attribute to your, you know, your mental state and how, how you go day to day. If you don't have the right nutrition, you might be struggling throughout the day. You might get cranky. You might have a bad attitude about something and say something to the wrong person. You know, so yeah, taking well, care of yourself is top priority, 100%. Oh, 100%. I want to encourage anyone who's listening to, if they haven't already, to look up Maslow's hierarchy of needs. It's, he's one of, um, he's, was a very famous person in psychology, but um, essentially it's a pyramid. If you can imagine a pyramid, at the very, 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 very bottom of the pyramid is your basic needs. And basic needs are food, water, shelter. Those are things that everyone needs. Above that, you advance from that. Once your basic needs are met, you're able to have, you know, maybe a job and have security. And above that, maybe maintain relationships. And then at the very, very top of the pyramid, I might be missing a few in between that. <laughs> Someone can fact check me. Um, is self-actualization, which is like super peace of mind. However you want to interpret self-actualization, there is a definition for it. But uh, I'm just saying like, to get to that point where you're really not worried about anything. And it's really hard to get to that point, you know, because you can't get to the next point of the pyramid until you get to, until the one on the bottom is met. And a lot of people can never advance because their basic needs are not being met. Food, water, shelter. And it just makes you think like back to that pyramid, how, just factual it is how, how applicable it is you know to to society to how how things work and mental health is is incorporated into that pyramid as well you know how can you focus on your mental health when you're trying to focus on what you're going to eat exactly travis you have any input bro how do you feel about you know diet like what's your diet like i know you're super busy all the time oh my diet is horrible uh how much usually... fast food do you consume on a weekly basis uh, well, i mean <laughs> what would you could really consider like fast food i mean my meals can range anywhere from uh like mcdonald's taco bell that's fast food <laughs> that's fast uh, food well chick-fil-a is a little little higher LA, tier fast food boba. today i had noodles and oh don't say boba dude come on man qdoba oh qdoba okay i don't i actually don't like boba no i'm uh, not gonna we're not gonna get into that i'll kick you from anyways, this conversation right now uh, so the whole like so i but i have to definitely emphasize the whole mental health situation side of things like it's it's definitely one of the things that I try and help people out with a lot because, you know, mental health is one of not the, you know, leading uh, cause for uh, like death or whatever. Yeah, because that's heart disease. Um, yeah, but it is definitely pretty far up there. And it's a lot of like one of the biggest things that I try and help other people with it's like don't don't try and bottle up your feelings if you need somebody to talk to that you know is not going to judge you like come to come talk to me like i have a, most of the people at my work or in my past jobs they still talk to me and you know they hell i've had a fucking few phone calls to people crying to me and i'm just like what's going on talk to me about it i don't care i'm not going to judge you we all need a shoulder to cry on like and especially, like, the whole stereotypical thing of be a man. Like, don't, I don't, no. I'm no, too I, macho I, I to cry that. on your shoulder, I bro. hate, I absolutely hate that saying. And Fuck, I no, I've cried to you, you man. <laughs> and, like, everybody has feelings. 
and everyone needs to be able to express those feelings to somebody, whether it's, you know, your significant other, your best friend, whatever, family member, somebody. Because bottling those up is not going to benefit you in any way, shape, or form. And, you know, that is, it'll help. It'll, if you keep bottling them up, then, you know, that's another cause for depression. And then depression will keep you from eating, which ruins your diet. And, Oh, it, yeah. yeah. It's cyclical. That's definitely true. But, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely struggle with mental health every now and again. And it's, it sucks. Don't get me wrong. Like, I used to have bad thoughts. I've, I've been able to stray away from those and get myself around better people that actually listen and care about shit that I have to say. Right. Hell yeah. And being able to just, I mean, I don't, it doesn't even have to be, you know, about my mental health, just, you know, talking about, you know, how your day was or, you know, just the small things to start off with is nice. Just being able to talk to somebody. True. That's why I always bug Travis, like, how'd your day go, bro? Because I'm here and I don't <laughs> talk to anybody, man. I'm like, be my friend, talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> I so, feel that uh, way. <laughs> I feel that yeah. Yeah, so, coming from California all the way to the Midwest, oh, I don't know anybody except for the people in my program. And I don't see them like all the time, you know, just when I'm at the hospital. And even when I'm on the hospital, it's not like we're sitting around having a beer or something, you know. <laughs> so it's like we're kind of busy and it's just human interaction is sparse in the Midwest for me. But one more year or less, and I'll be done. So that's the goal. Woo, woo, woo. Yeah, I know I had some questions or I had some responses um, ready for you guys. And one of the things I wanted to talk about was um, the difference between acute and chronic diseases. And I know you guys have heard these terms before. Um, chronic, and I wish it could be marijuana but it is talking about something that is long term and um something that it de by definition has been going on for three months or more so like if it's been going on for a while i guess you know then you would say it's chronic like if someone has herpes that's a chronic issue it never goes away someone has psoriasis or eczema like that's chronic usually it doesn't go away that's another chronic condition um and then you know something else that can be chronic that's in mental health are mental health conditions like ptsd can be chronic it could be suddenly and it could also be chronic so the opposite of that would be acute, right? So acute just means it happens suddenly. I don't know if anyone watches Grey's Anatomy or if, if anyone, you know, watches any medical shows or anything like that. But if you've ever heard someone be like, oh, yeah, it was an acute onset or she had acute chest pain. It just means <laughs> she that had a it cute was chest. It just, yeah, right? It means her boobs were cute and on point. <laughs> no, it just means it was sudden. It just means that it was suddenly. And so that's really just the difference. Just that one means right away and the other one means it's been for for a while. So from a pathophysiological perspective, that would be like <clears throat> so, you know, like you said, chronic diseases are long term. So something that is sudden and acute, can that turn into a chronic disease? You know, like, oh, you know, something just happens maybe, you know, in the middle of your, your years, you know, maybe you're in your 40s or your your 30s or whatever, and something just happens, mm -hmm. you know, and then now it's now it's a chronic disease, right? Right. So when, yeah. when you're educating people with all this, that helps them understand too, you know, because if you don't take care of yourself, you're going to start, you're going to start having these problems with you. You're going to start getting diseases. You're going to start, you know, needing T needing aid you know needing to go to the doctor oh, for medication man. or something you know I so see a lot of young people that you know that are like in their late 40s early 50s that are 
you know, that have COPD, emphysema, that, you know, they're smokers, longtime smokers, and now their their lungs are so bad. That's my dad. That now they're just, they're they're forever going to be like, okay, once the damage has been done, there is no mitosis. There is no no cellular division that can save you. Like, that's it. Once it's destroyed, it's done. Your body isn't able to recover from that. And you damage the lung tissue and you're you don't get oxygen the same way that's that's why i was i was telling you know ryan that it's essentially like you did a hundred jumping jacks and you're breathing through a straw to get your air i mean how out of breath or short of breath would you feel after that you know it's really just such an awful feeling and to be feeling that way for that's just how you have to be that's your current constant state you know, and that's hard because that's where people have to uh, have a complete life adjustment. And if you don't change your habits, such as stop smoking, it worsens and worsens and worsens. And then, of course, you don't you run the risk of cancer and other you can get esophageal cancer in your throat. You can get lung cancer. Um, you know, there's other things you predispose yourself to cigarettes are a major risk factor for cardiovascular diseases. Um, if you if you look up, you know, what causes a heart attack? It's not that a cigarette would cause a heart attack. It's that a cigarette would raise your blood pressure and raising your blood pressure could potentially cause a heart attack. So like a cig- a cigarette kind of constricts the the vessels in your in your um, body and by that happening the blood is not able to flow through um, as easily you know and that makes sense if something's like a little tiny straw and it's very tight 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 how is the blood gonna pass through the pressure is gonna build up the pressure is gonna build up and it raises your blood pressure by the time it's pushing blood through, if you have plaque or anything in your a clot or anything, you that travels to your heart and then boom, heart attack. It's just like cigarettes are directly correlated and linked to cardiovascular events for sure. That's I like I wouldn't a- even say sorry to cut you off, but I wouldn't say it's just cigarettes. It's any nicotine products yeah nicotine is what causes yeah. your blood mm-hmm. pressure. definitely yeah i should have corrected myself and said that but yeah you're absolutely correct it's all of that it's everything it's vaping really is not better than cigarettes it really is absolutely horrible. not it's almost worse especially with all the different kinds of uh, chemicals and stuff that they use in them oh yes definitely that uh that brings me to this question that I wanted to ask about inflammation and how inflammation contributes to the development and the progression of various diseases because you know like COPD people that smoke cigarettes um you know they're they're tarnishing their lungs does that cause any inflammation to their lungs like does it absolutely you like so hit it on the head with that because um, that's what so restricts like- their breathing right is the inflammation Sort of. So this is essentially sort of what happens. Um, All of the carcinogens and everything that's in, um, you know, it's a mixture of nicotine and probably, you know, everything, all the other carcinogens that make up tobacco and everything else. The 4,000 other chemicals too. (laughs) Um, And when you inhale that over and over and over and over and over again, over time, so in your lungs there's these tiny 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 little grape-like sacs called alveoli and they look literally like uh, little grapes actually and when you smoke over time those tiny sacs are supposed to be filled with fluid and are supposed to be they move and they they're very important for cellular respiration um, essentially, when you breathe in oxygen, 
your oxygen molecules, literally, when you, your body pulls the molecules from the air, from the alveoli in your lungs, that's the direct contact. The contact point is oxygen from the air to the alveoli in your lungs. And it's those grape sacs. And when you damage those grape sacs, how are this, the oxygen supposed to meet the sacs in your body if you don't really have as many or if they're damaged or if you see what I'm going with that? Like, right, like it's blocking access. It's kind of inhibiting access. Right. Like it's, it's, it's making it so that it's not possible or so that it's severely less. Less than someone who doesn't smoke. You know what I'm saying? So they have normal alveoli. They have like a normal 94 to 100% oxygen level. Someone who has COPD lives in the in the high 80s for oxygen saturation levels. Like they always feel like they are kind of a little short and out of breath. That's why many COPD people are on oxygen because they need supplemental oxygen yeah, i feel like my dad's right there you know he i told you earlier he recently went to the doctors and she told him he's got like five years you know copd and it's a contribution of smoking cigarettes since he was 13 years old and his diet and just not stopping you know and i mean now he, he knows you know he's got a time limit because of his condition and he still cannot stop smoking cigarettes. That's how nasty this habit is, you know? And I, I, I'm trying to think like, it, it's almost as bad as genetics, you know? Like I picked it up from my dad. Obviously it wasn't genetics, but you know, my dad was smoking a cigarette, flicked it out, you know, when he was watering the lawn one time and I picked it up. I was 10 years old when I took my first hit off a cigarette, you know, but I didn't start really smoking till I was 17, you know? And it's been nonstop since and I'm 33 now. You know, so I mean, I'm definitely feeling it in my lungs. I know I'm not breathing as well. And I know that if I don't stop, I'm going to be on the same path as my dad. So it's like, I, I really have to pick and choose these battles here, you know, and understanding the conditions better and what attributes to them can help you kind of fight something like this or give you the motivation to stop. You know, like, right. I don't, I don't want to go down the path my dad is like, I have a kid, he's not even four yet. You know, like, I don't want, I don't want, I want to see my kid have a kid, you know? So I, I really need to start taking better care of myself. And this conversation is definitely going to help, you know, put me on the right track to do some more research and see how I can do that. So that's awesome. That's great. Yeah. I'm, I'm happy to provide education to anyone who is open to wanting to just have a, a casual conversation, you know, like I'm not trying to scare anyone into you know out of their habits but in a way i kind of it kind of is that you're way. bringing them to reality though right you know yeah. so many people are stuck behind screens these days that they don't mm -hmm. they don't even pay attention to what's going on to their body you know they're mm -hmm. they're like oh i feel like this then they go on WebMD, and then they figure mm -hmm. out like oh this is what's wrong with me i need this medication then they need medication right. for those side effects and then you're all messed up you know right. so Having somebody that's in this field that can help educate you, like, take advantage of that. I'm so glad we're friends. Cause... It really pulls <laughs> down to physiology. When you know what cigarette, when you know what nicotine does to your blood vessels, it makes sense. And so, like, for example, have you ever had a hangover? Of course. Right? No. <laughs> You have like I, I think I think I think you've you seen me hung headache. over a couple times. <laughs> you have the worst headache, right? Yeah. And like you don't your want to natural do anything. Reaction if you're a smoker is to smoke a cigarette or hit your vape. Yep. And then after you hit your vape, how do you feel? Do you feel like worse? your headache is worse or better? Usually, worse. How do you feel? for sure, worse. It's worse when I'm hitting it. I feel better, and then I'm like, oh, I probably shouldn't have done that. No, it like you tightening those vessels and you're you already have a headache, which means the blood is having a hard time passing through and you feel the throbbing and then you have the nicotine, which tightens it even more and it, it narrows the vessels even further and then the the pressure rises even more and like you're you're over here, you know, risking your risking all kinds of stuff with your high blood pressure. I mean, if you have clots, 
that gets lodged if you if you're forming an aneurysm boom that could burst i mean like so many things from high blood pressure could go so many things high blood pressure is does is just so terrible you know like and a lot of it just boils back down to the diet like most people's blood pl- pressure would be treated if they just fixed their diet so and i got a got a quick question I I have a uh, an acute heart murmur. Okay. How how does that that how does that really affect me with like nicotine and drinking? Okay, so caffeine? people don't really get acute heart murmurs. I would say maybe you you like you had had one since birth, or like maybe you could suddenly develop one. But even if you did develop it suddenly it's very unlikely but then it would be a chronic condition because it wouldn't go away so Sometimes. it it how do i explain this because i've been seen by a few dozens of doctors how long have you been dealing with it all of my military crap i found out actually when i shipped out to boot camp that i had a heart murmur but only oh, three oh, yeah. out of the yes yeah, so this is a chronic disease now like the, the nine or ten doctors actually heard it and they said it was very faint okay did they stage it no okay how did it how, how did you what did they tell you uh they said it was it very minuscule if i i don't know how to really explain it they just said that it's there, but it's extremely faint. It's you can only tell if you have like keen ears for it or some shit. Interesting. You know what? I've heard heart murmurs, and they are. I don't know if you've ever played with a stethoscope, but it is so fun to. I mean, not to put your condition on blast or anything, but um, it's so fun to kind of hear it. I mean, it sounds like a swoosh. You could it. You could hear, and really, what you're hearing in the stethoscope when you're listening to a murmur this may gross some people out you're actually hearing air passing through an opening because there's so much pressure in your contraction of your heart that you when it when there's an unusual opening which is what a murmur is and there's you're going to hear it audibly with a stethoscope like it's you can't, it's almost hard to miss, but you're saying yours is really faint. That's very interesting because all the ones I've heard, I've always been super prominent, but I'm now I kind of want to get a stethoscope out and <laughs> listen to your heart. <laughs> you know, you could listen to your own and try to see if you could hear it. Um, it sounds like a breath sound, like a, like imagine someone taking a, like a breath in. It just sounds like not like a heartbeat, you know, like a normal heartbeat. Would be. Yeah, exactly. Sounds like that. Instead of a do do, like a heartbeat, it sounds like a swish, like a like a breath. Um, oh yeah, you'd definitely be able to tell. You would definitely be able to tell if you wouldn't sound like you wouldn't have a normal heartbeat. You think um, maybe they're trying to get money out of you? And they're like, oh, you gotta have keen ears to hear this. Yeah. Right. Well, I don't know. I I sat in the the medical room for like three hours as like ten different doctors came and like listened to it. And I was just like, I'm concerned. Like they didn't tell me what was going on at first. So I'm sitting there freaking the fuck out. My heart rate's skyrocketing. Like Jesus. I don't know what's going on. It's cold as hell in that room. I'm just chilling in my boxers and I'm just like, uh, is everything okay? Like what's what's going on? And then they just started questioning me about, like, does my family have, is my family known for heart disease and stuff like that? And I was like, not that I know of. Like, my, mo- my mother has heart, palp- heart palpitations uh-huh. occasionally, but. And you know what? Heart palpitations are actually really, by nature, pretty harmless. Um, they're pretty normal if anyone's listening and has experienced that. It kind of feels like your heart skipped a beat or. Maybe you felt this if you're just chilling. You notice it when you're most relaxing because your heart is kind of slower, right? If you're relaxing, your heart rate is slow. Um, I don't know if, it, if you've ever felt it, but it kind of feels like you your heart skips a beat and then you feel it come back and it's like, 
like heavier than it would have been or like it just pounds like you notice something skipped i don't know if you know what i'm talking about have you ever experienced that yeah it's like the first yeah. time i played video games with travis <laughs> 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 no so i've i've experienced it a few times i mean i like i'm not gonna say i'm, I'm you know i'm a fit or healthy person i i smoke i don't run anymore i used to be really active until old knee situation happened um but i mean as of like right now my average resting heart rate's like 50 to 65 that's good that's good that's actually a great resting heart rate um but yeah and you know what heart palpitations are really normal um they are like if you ever drink like a cup of coffee in the morning and um you might feel it you might feel it um orthostatically which means like from when you get up from in a laying position like bed like a bed and then you get up and stand up and then you're like whoa I feel dizzy and like my heart feels weird it's just changes in pressure in your blood and your blood pressure and changes in pressure in general like your heart responds to that it's a machine and it's very very efficient um so when you ever you feel a little hiccup it always knows what to do. And even when you have a heart attack, it's like it still tries its hardest to recover. I mean, it definitely you get there's definitely signs before having a heart attack, not like maybe right away, like in the moment. But you, you usually have high blood pressure. Usually you feel short of breath. Like usually you're starting to feel a little crappy. What about you like know? your right arm? I heard something about like your right arm goes numb or you feel something oh, in your yeah. right arm. Yeah. Why, so why is it your right you, arm? Left arm. Oh, but, your um, left arm. So basically the anatomy of the heart has a, um, you've probably heard of the aorta, right? Well, there's two aortas. There's the ascending aorta and there's the descending aorta. And the ascending aorta goes straight to your brain. It gets its own fucking supply straight from the heart. Um, and then the rest, the descending aorta, supplies the blood to the rest of your body. So the first to get the blood from your heart is going to be your arm, your left arm. So if your left arm, if you're having blockage in your, in your, um, let's say you're having a blockage in your coronary arteries and you're having a heart attack, your left arm is going to be the first thing to feel it because it's always the first to get blood supply pretty much because it's right there from the descending aorta in your chest. On the left side, it goes straight into your left arm. So you feel, people often feel pain radiating down their arm like because it feels like they're it's not getting oxygen is what it feels like and then pretty soon you start to feel that way almost everywhere as like it's called ischemia actually and that's just basically when your blood is not supplying oxygen to your body because it can't get to the tissues there's no circulation happening. That's why people need CPR. The whole point of chest compressions is to push the blood around so that it circulates the, the tissues to keep them oxygenated, especially the brain. So if that's the purpose of the of the compressions in CPR. And then giving oxygen is obviously oxygenating the blood. And then CP, the compressions is circulating the blood giving blood circulating it it's just a mixture of that over and over because the person's unconscious and can't do it themselves maybe they had a heart attack and went unconscious and that happens a lot people go unconscious because what do you think happens when there's no blood going to your brain you get confused you you people who like i'm sure you've seen in movies people who have strokes they kind of start talking weird and they kind of start acting confused and that's so true like and same with heart attacks people start like mumbling and not making sense and acting confused because there's an oxygen impairment it really is about oxygen 
That's crazy. Yeah, my aunt had a had a stroke years back and actually like lost feeling in half of her body on her whole left side, you know, from her face yeah. all the way down to her arm to her legs. She was like limping, had to go to, you know, like physical therapy and all this stuff. And oh, she's yeah. still People recovering from it, you know, so yeah. that's crazy. Physical therapy post cardiac event is huge. It's huge because your your heart is a muscle. And you have to train it again to to work efficiently. And you know what's the craziest thing and what sucks the most is there's this saying in medicine. It's called time is brain. I don't know if anyone has heard of it. Time is brain. Basically, the longer you go without oxygen, the more you're killing off your brain cells, the more you're just, you know, your your your, your outcomes are are slowly less and less and less right time is brain that makes sense get them to the hospital as fast as possible time is brain but you know hold on can you hear me yeah 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 sorry um i i uh wanted to go back to you know we were talking about heart palpitations and you know uh we sprung off of travis's heart murmur oh yeah i wanted Mm -hmm. to i wanted to ask if you could provide examples of genetic disorders and explain their pathophysiology so like a heart murmur and a heart palpitation like he wouldn't have the heart murmur because his mom had heart palpitations right like that's not a genetic disorder Right, right. You know, a, a a heart murmur could be a genetic disorder that, you know, maybe his one of his parents has a heart murmur. Um, but heart palpitations are really not something that, I mean, I suppose you could be genetically just predisposed to it. But it's like, like, imagine having the hiccups, you know, it's kind of like something similar to that. Um a, pal- a palpitation really is something called a premature ventricular contraction. And really, it's just, I don't know if anyone's familiar with the heart, but you know how there's chambers. You have the upper chambers and the lower chambers. You have the atria and the ventricles. And they work together synchronously to pump the blood around. And, and oh, wow, I just forgot what I was saying because I totally got distracted by my dog. <laughs> no worries. Uh, we're talking about oh, yeah, the yeah, genetic. Got... Huh. Yeah. And so just like, but just saying that, like, you could be genetically predisposed, but what you're what you're experiencing is a PVC, a, a premature ventricular contraction. And that just is a mismatch between the ventricle and the atria, like the top and the bottom half of the heart. Sometimes it's an electrical like issue. It's nothing to do with your blood, has nothing to do with oxygen. You have a pacemaker, a natural pacemaker in your heart called the SA node, and it controls the rhythm and rate of your heart. And um, sometimes like that could be damaged and then that is a whole other problem. But, but naturally, a PBC you can think of is kind of like a hiccup. It's kind of like a heart hiccup. Like it really is not dangerous. It's totally normal. It happens. Um, if you ever have had a PVC, um, I wouldn't be worried about it. I would not WebMD yourself and freak yourself out. Um, don't give yourself a panic attack because it a heart palpitation every once in a while is totally normal. But if you start having shortness of breath and, you know, maybe some arm pain and there's actually a real simple way to check. You should pinch your finger right now. Pinch your finger and then let it go. And you'll see that when you pinch your finger, it turns white. But as soon as you let it go, it immediately turns red. Right? Yeah, that's crazy. My my, my whole hand, too. Like, probably, like, what? You would say definitely, like, less than two seconds, right? Yeah, less yeah, it's less than two seconds. seconds. It's almost instantaneously. Okay. That's called a capillary refill. People who are having a true cardiac event, like they're having a heart attack, they'll have a really high capillary refill time. So let's say they pinch their finger and they let it go. Instead of the blood returning to their finger immediately, like yours and ours did, 
it will take like a really long time to return because guess what? There's no blood supply going around. And any blood supply that is going around is protecting your brain and your heart. They're not worried about your fingers. So yeah, your fingers are going to stay white. Someone who's having a heart attack, if you pinch their fingers, their finger will stay white. That's so crazy. that's kind of like another way. If you're freaked out and you're, you know, you kind of like, you can always check yourself. And if, if you have a high cap refill time, then maybe, maybe you have poor circulation. But also don't freak yourself out. You, that'll happen if you're really cold too. If you've ever been really cold and your fingers turn white, if you do the cap refill test, it'll stay white. That's just a normal response. Right, because you're cold, so your blood's not flowing as fast as it should. It's protecting your vital organs, essentially, right. when it's cold. Yeah, so that's normal when it's cold. But in normal circumstances, it should be less than three seconds. So is there a way to decrease your refill time? You know, like increase blood flow somehow? Maybe like do jumping jacks? Does that do it? Um. Yeah, so um, increasing oxygenation. So if you um, take a few deep breaths, that will do it, but don't hyperventilate. Hyperventilation is like taking a lot of breaths in and out, in and out, in and out is not the same as taking controlled deep breaths that is more oxygenating than hyperventilating. Hyperventilating is when you don't give your body the chance to convert to carbon dioxide and your the blood um, becomes the the pH becomes off and you get dizzy and you pass out essentially because you become really really toxic your blood gets toxic from hyperventilating oh Travis you're um, so toxic toxic <laughs> um earlier you had mentioned homeostasis uh can you explain the concept of homeostasis and its significance in path uh pathophysiology um let's see so do we have five minutes because i just want yeah yeah sure. yeah for sure no you got time you got time okay i okay i do have just five minutes okay so i'll just squeeze that one in um okay so homeostasis like that kind of is a vague term i would say homeostasis could apply to a lot of things but in terms of the body i would say that's just being within normal values uh you want your body to be at a normal temperature you know average is 98.6 but you know, some people are like 97.8. That's me. I kind of run on the cool side. Um, and then sometimes I'm 99. But that doesn't mean I have a fever. Some people are just, you know, running hot or cold, but they're still within a normal range. But um, really, homeostasis is a constant balance. So like, you know, when you're cold, and you're shivering, you're right. shivering, your shivering is you're shaking vigorously to restabilize. To you're literally sense. trying to be in homeostasis at all times in your life. At all times in your life, your body is fighting for homeostasis. When you have a fever, it's fighting for homeostasis. When it's really cold outside, I mean, you name it. There's a million. When you're sick, your body's always trying to get back to normal and fight that infection. That's why That's I sweat. you sweat so much, right? Yeah. Because it's like exactly. trying to sweat out that infection. Right. That's what right. so much when I'm you know, sick. It's ugly. <laughs> yeah. No, exactly. But I'm like never sick more than, you know, I ha I have the flu. And when the flu puts people out for a couple weeks, I'm down for four days, you know, because I'm in oh, sweatpants wow. and a sweatshirt and I just completely sweat it out. Just rest and, you know, keep up on my fluids. And that's, yeah, I that's guess, my way of, you know, being, uh, you know, having that homeostasis within myself, you know, as my body <laughs> just regulates it like that. And so I grew up, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm sick. Time to sweat it out. Yeah, that's so true. My go-to is Gatorade. Honestly, I swear by Gatorade. Um, is that really, real? Like the electrolytes and stuff? Oh my god, I cannot stress this enough how important electrolytes are. The electrolytes are not vitamins. Do not get confused between vitamins and electrolytes. Electrolytes pump your heart, control certain functions of your metabolic functions of your body. They signal hormones. They signal hormones that go off in your body that also perform functions within your body. I mean, you need, you need that. Um, you need electrolytes. The most important electrolytes 
are sodium and potassium. Those are the most important. Um, I mean, so many things could happen when you don't have enough sodium. You could have a seizure. When you don't have enough potassium, you could have a lot of something called dysrhythmias, which is like just a really, really abnormal heart rate that's like fast and it would be uncomfortable for a long period of time and you would be uncomfortable. Um, and yeah, no, it would be out of whack. You want to be like within a range. Like homeostasis isn't about being perfect. It's about being in a range. So like, for example, potassium, you want to be within 3.5 and 5 like grams per mole or whatever it's called. And you can be 4, you can be 3.8, you can be 4.8. As long as you're between 3.5 and 5, you're good. As soon as you start getting above 5 or below 3.5, you're getting risky and you're starting to risk your heart. Your heart is the first muscle to respond to low potassium or high potassium. A lot of people who have heart attacks have to take potassium supplements because potassium is always affected when it comes to like most cardiac events. It's super, super important. That's why I, I, I really just love Gatorade. It tastes good. It's better than, what's the other one that's, like, watered down? Um, you know what I'm talking about? Like the vitamin uh, water? No. Uh, I'll say I like vitamin water. But if it's not vitamins, you get electrolytes. Pedialyte. I was thinking oh, of Pedialyte. Pedial well, Pedialyte's, yeah. like, for kids, isn't it? Like, for no. adult, adult Pedialyte. Yeah, get, dude, Kelly got some. I, start, I was like, what is this? I feel sick and shit, I get, like, I get four bottles of Pedialyte and then a box of dick foot night. People always say, Same. and this is, I'm so sorry, continue. I totally cut you off. <laughs> yeah, you're good. <laughs> All right. Oh, I'll go then. Uh, So, Kelly, sorry, Kelly. Oh, you're good. You're good. Kelly got some Pedialyte, right? Or not Pedialyte. I forget what it was called, but it had electrolytes, right? Because she said she needed electrolytes. And I went to drink it and it's literally like the Pedialyte, but for adults, you know? <laughs> so like when my kid was, you know, he was like an infant or a little smaller than he is now and he wanted popsicles, I'd get him like the little Pedialyte popsicles, you know? And I went to eat one and <laughs> I was like, this is definitely a Pedialyte popsicle. I can taste the electrolytes. Oh, that's too funny. Yeah, no, that's too funny. Well, the only thing I want to leave on is like the reason why Gatorade is so much more superior than Pedialyte, in my opinion, is because of the sugar. People always argue that, oh, there's too much sugar in Gatorade, blah, 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 blah. Well, let's just say you're sweating. What are you sweating out? Sugar. Water and water yes. let's just say you're throwing up because you have a hangover or you're throwing up because you're sick what do you think you're throwing up besides stomach acid you're throwing up a, you're throwing up sugar too you're throwing up but you're changing your electrolytes you're changing your ph you're changing everything and not only is it important to rehydrate yourself but glucose which is what sugar is it's the most important thing that you could give your body besides literally oxygen your body runs on sugar that's the most like your brain only the only sugar that your brain uses is glucose which is sugar like pure direct sugar like from bread pasta like you know whatever from gatorade is my point like you need the sugar like if you are dehydrated trust me you need the sugar too unless you're diabetic i wouldn't worry about the sugar in Gatorade. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, there's unless not enough have... to where it's going to, like, jack yeah, you up off sugar. Pounding... Yeah, and if you're pounding Gatorade, I get it, because there is a lot of sugar if you drink it like a soda, like, all the time. But, like, every once in a while, like, it is so not... it is so fine. Yeah, use I it as a replenishment. Yeah, I actually, <laughs> uh, speaking of hangovers and Gatorade, that's my go-to hangover cure. I go to McDonald's, I get a medium fry, and I get a, I get the blue, well, it's Powerade, but they're pretty much the same thing. I get the blue Powerade, and I mix it with Sprite, you know, for the combination. Obviously, Sprite helps, you know, my stomach with the bubbly, and it's not a dark soda, so it doesn't make me feel like shit after. But that sugar, you know, from the Powerade and the Sprite, and then the sodium from the fries, make me feel homeostasis again, you know? Okay. 
Oh, did we lose her? You kind of cut out for a bit, so I totally missed it, but I caught the end. Oh, okay. No, I was just mentioning, you know, like Powerade, the blue Powerade and the Sprite from McDonald's and French fries are my go-to hangover cure. I get my oh. electrolytes from the Powerade and the Sprite. The bubbly helps the stomach, you know, and then the fries with the oh, sodium. Man. Oh, yeah. You know what? The uh, the Sprite at McDonald's don't play. It's so crisp. <laughs> oh, it's amazing. It's too, too carbonated for me. <laughs> yeah, but if you mix it with Powerade, it's good, man. It kind of dilutes the carbonation a little bit, but you still get like a carbonated, like lemon lime power. I don't freaking know. It's good. And it's like Baja Blast, <laughs> which I will not complain about. I love me some Baja Blast. But yeah, Nerissa, uh, we did hit our hour mark. I really appreciate your time. Uh, we got through five of the ten questions. So if you're free for another, you know, uh, another episode, we'll go ahead and do it next time you're free. We'll go through the next five yeah. questions. Totally, I'd love to. Cool, cool. So I'll touch base with you. I want to thank all the listeners that, you know, stuck around and listened to all this educational stuff. Thank you so much. Don't forget to stay tuned next time. We're going to have Nerissa again to go through these other questions and get some more uh, knowledge about this. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Trying to Function. Don't forget to subscribe on your favorite listening platform and leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you. Catch you on the flip side. Thank you.